This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus. Rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Albion Analysis. In fact, I should say welcome back because we've had a couple of weeks off, largely because the club have given us absolutely nothing to talk about in that period of time. But we've now jumped back into action. We've gone back into gear. Pete's fired up the analytics machine, whatever that machine is, because I don't understand it, to be fair, and started looking at Jed Wallace as we have snapped him up on a free after he left Millwall. Now, as a result of that, we have very kindly been joined by a Millwall fan and a former journalist covering the club, Jim Lucas, who will tell us about Jed Wallace and what we've signed and everything, because obviously they've had a number of seasons of him and seen him firsthand. So, Jim, first of all, welcome to the podcast. Cheers, Chris. Good to see you. Wicked. So we'll jump straight in, mate. Um, what can what can we expect from him? Um well, a, a lot, really. I think if, if you look at how dependent Millwall have been on him over the last three, four, five years, I think even a couple of loan spells before that, really, um, so much of what Millwall do or did flowed through him. You know, the number of assists, the number of goals uh, as a percentage of Millwall's total goals during that five-year period has got to be up there in terms of yeah, almost half, I imagine, of the goals he's been involved in in, in some form. So the, the first thing you're obviously going to get is is return, I guess, in terms of numbers of assists, numbers of goals. I think the, the bigger thing, really the thing that always stood out with him was was energy, really. I think if you can sum, sum him up um, beyond just the, the returns, the levels of energy you, you got out of him, um, you know, even from the front, kind of the whole the whole pressing thing, setting the tempo from from the very front of the field. You know, that that was always his thing, really. Um, people say, uh, you know, you don't succeed at Mill without having a little bit of a bit of bite in your character as well. And he, he's definitely got that. Um, you know, he is without doubt and, and has been, I think, for Mill, one of the leaders on the pitch, you know, got with um, the crowd in terms of the way he played, you know, got the crowd on their feet and got them up taking notice and, and was, was ultimately, as I say, without doubt, probably the club's best player over that, that five-year period. Um, 
I think it'll be it'll be interesting to see what Mill will do. I mean, I know we're not talking about what Mill will do next, but to fill that gap in terms of both the goals and assists, but also the leadership qualities and the character and the energy within the team. You know, they're they're losing a couple of players worth almost there. So, yeah, I mean, brilliant signing for West Brom. I mean, I'm sure we'll come on to the circumstances of how it's it's come about, but I think Millwall fans would have expected him probably to go to the to the top flight. Um, certainly was probably what was on everyone's everyone's mind when the idea of losing him was becoming increasingly clear over the last six months. So for him still to be in the championship is, um, you know, I guess credit to West Brom for managing to get him, but also, you know, interesting, I guess, in a sense that he hasn't gone there or that option hasn't gone up for him. So, yeah, yeah look, look, long, long story short, I just think he's, he's going to be a big miss for Millwall, but... Um, yeah, interesting circumstances. Have you got any theory as to why that was? Because I, uh, I think we all expect, I mean, there was a lot of links at the start of the summer to Bournemouth and Forest, and I think we kind of expected mm. to get blown out of the water by clubs who had a Premier League budget. In the end, it came down to a straight punch-up between ourselves and Burnley, it looked like. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. I mean, the idea of Jed Wallace leaving Mill has been, been kind of on the cards for the best part of two or three years now. You know, I think as far back as definitely pre-lockdown, very, very heavily linked to Aston Villa in either their first or second season back up in the Premier League. And it, it just hasn't happened along the way for various different reasons. I think in, in January of this year, it was probably the closest it's come to happening when it's very, very obvious that he was six months out from his contract running out. And I think at that point, Forrest were the most seen, uh, serious, I guess, in terms of trying to take him from what, what I read and what I understand. Um but that didn't happen for various reasons. I, I can only kind of speculate that they've tried to get him out of his contract six months early and not necessarily wanted to pay a fee worth doing that for. And then obviously in that time, they've, they've gone and got themselves promoted, haven't they? So for whatever reason, they've probably decided that maybe not now in the Premier League as opposed to when we're in the Championship trying to go up. I mean, there was talk about interest from overseas as well. I think it was linked with Besiktas, I think. Yeah. Our um, former manager, Valerian Ishmael, of course. Maybe some link there, I don't know. But, you know, the idea of going over to Turkey was certainly talked about in, in January kind of time because they could have signed him, I guess, on a pre-contract at that point. But but no, it hasn't happened. And I think that is, I think Millwall fans will probably look at that and go, well, that's a shame for him, you know, that he hasn't necessarily got himself a Premier League move because without doubt, certainly in those five years, he's had enough about him, I think, to play in the Premier League. Now, he, he may still obviously do that in a year or so's time with you guys. That's obviously what he's hoping, I'm assuming. But um, yeah, probably a, a slight kind of, whether it's disappointment or, or whatever, that he's he's left, but he hasn't gone to the Premier League. You know, he's gone to another championship club. He's going to play against Millwall twice this year. He's going to play against or play for a team that finished below Millwall. I know we can debate about how that happened and blah, blah, blah. But it's a team ultimately that finished below Millwall last year. So Millwall fans with, with rose tinted glasses on will look at it and go, you could have done better there, Jed, I think. Um, but I think the proof will be in the pudding in a year's time uh, as opposed to what it looks like now, I think, or based on last season. Yeah, I suppose. Uh, I mean, and I completely understand that. I saw a lot of a lot of quite angry Millwall fans calling it a sideways move and stuff like that. I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't quite go that far. No, I mean, we, you know, no, we, we no, no, spent no. seven of the last ten seasons in the Premier League. We're not, you know, uh, okay. We were terrible last season, and nobody denies that. But I wouldn't quite go as far as to say it was a um, it was was a sideways move. But it, yeah. uh, but equally, I can understand why Millwall fans are disappointed. We had a similar reaction from Reading fans when we signed John Swift a few a few weeks back I think they mm. felt he could have uh, he could have done better I suppose almost to a certain extent one's begat the other but I think the other thing is that um 
I, I saw some tweets from Alan Nixon about it that uh, that basically said that um, Jed or Jed's people very much created a bidding war over uh, over this transfer between ourselves and Burnley. And one thing that stuck mm. out for me very much about it was the fact that we have given. A, uh, I, I love the signing of Jed Wallace. I'll put that on record. But it is mm. a four year contract to a twenty eight twenty eight year old, which. I did find quite surprising, and I have to wonder whether before Burnley started sticking sticking their nose into the mix, whether there was a four-year contract on the table. I'd be a bit surprised if there was. Yeah, who, who knows? I think the advantage you've got when you're a free agent is that you can push harder in, in areas where you wouldn't have been able to if you were moving for a fee two years ago, whatever it might be. So you can push harder for the extra year on the contract. You can push harder for the extra signing on fee, all the things that typically you know, would have usually at upper club's budget to pay the transfer fee to take him from Millwall a year ago, two years ago, whatever it might be. So, that you know, the, you know our contracts work these days. This is not West Brom saying, yes, you're going to play for us for the next four years. It's West Brom saying that you're going to get paid up until this date um, and you're going to get paid for four years, etc. So, um, I, I wouldn't necessarily mean contract lengths uh, who actually ever serves a contract unless you're at Millwall, I guess, looking to leave at the end of it. But otherwise players don't necessarily get to their end of their contracts and walk away do they so yeah I think it's just more just another another thing that West Brom maybe needed to do to win that win that battle if there's four years on offer from West Brom and three years on offer from from Burnley then maybe it tips the balance in your favour at that point. Just going back to something you spoke about before about um, because he's obviously he's played a lot on wide on the right for you. He's he's mm. played in fact. I mean, I looked at his positions on transfer mark. It basically seems like he's played everywhere across the midfield and everywhere yeah. across the forward line at some point in his Millwall career. And those sort of positions are not necessarily uh, positions that you would associate with being robust, battling, mm. you know, leadership, leaders on the pitch. Yet, I mean, I saw quotes from Paul Robinson um, the, other, the other day saying that the guy's an absolute leader of men. And mm. it, it seems like he is, despite his positional uh, position on the pitch, he seems like a player who puts his foot in, who who gets about it, who doesn't mind doing the donkey work, if you, if you like, and, and and seems like he's got high, high standards in the dressing room as well. Yeah, and, and probably that those are the things that have endeared him to Millwall fans, I guess. You know, you look, there's a funny thing, if you look down all of the player of the season winners, and I don't think he has one player of the season with Millwall, but more of a, a tale that kind of tells you what Millwall fans gravitate to, it's virtually always defenders and goalkeepers. You know, we've, we've had some very good strikers. We've had, you know, our, our club record goal scorer um, has never won player of the year, etc. because the team and the fans tend to gravitate towards last-ditch tackles or charging people down in the corner, et cetera, et cetera. And generally, wingers, attacking midfielders, have, have kind of come and go at Millwall. Um, whereas Jed, as, as I said earlier, for five years plus two on loan, um, has always had that kind of rapport with the fans for all of those things you've just described in terms of his energy, his, his tracking back, his, his charging down. So, yeah, you know, not necessarily typical of a winger, uh, if that's what you want to call him, or even not necessarily typical of an attacker, if that's what you want to call him, but definitely a contributor towards his overall game. Um, obviously, as I said before, he will be measured on goals and assists. That's the thing that he does. Um, but behind that is, is I think, a very, very um, enigmatic, dedicated player without necessarily being fast by the way he's not necessarily one of the fastest players at all but definitely makes up for that I think in terms of that that energy and that tempo that he brings to the brings to the team 
We'll come back to his position in just a moment because I do kind of want to nail down, as I say, for a guy who's mm. played so many different positions, exactly where he plays. But one other thing that I wanted to touch on, which I imagine has endeared himself to Millwall fans, is when I went through his numbers, he doesn't miss a lot of games. I don't think he's ever had a season at Millwall where he's played less than 30 league games. Yeah, no, not not, not a lot. In, in fact, probably this season just gone was the one that, that he's missed the most games in. I think he and he's still played maybe... 33. Yeah, well, look, if he's fit, he plays generally. Um, that that is how it's been for him over the time there. I think he he got injured just before the the January transfer window, and there was a bit of speculation about what what you know is this injured or is this somebody who can't be played at the moment, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So that that kind of took him out of out of Millwall um, really for yeah best part of three months. You know, December, January, February. Um, the minute he comes back, it's no surprise that suddenly Millwall will start winning again and almost make it into the playoffs. So. Um, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Doesn't doesn't miss many games, and you know he was so important to the team that if he was even seventy five percent fit, he generally played. Um, you know, even literally towards the last couple of games of last season, when he probably shouldn't have been anywhere near the team, was still coming off the bench, etc. Because he wanted to be involved in that push for the playoffs and so on. So, no, um, if he's fit, he plays. That might not be the case with you guys. I don't, I don't know, but certainly at Millwall, the small squad. I think at the moment uh, he plays. he plays, mate. We are rubbish. Sure he does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, look, you could have worse, I think. But uh, I mean, just going back to it positionally, if you had to pigeonhole yeah. him, and if you if you almost had to do uh, to do a comparison uh, with mm. with a player to kind of give us a feel for for who he is in terms of what he what he offers on the pitch, where would you p- pigeonhole him positionally? And is there a is there a comparison that you would make to somebody else? I can't think one, and the reason I can't necessarily think of a comparison off the top is that, that Millwall, probably more than than any club I can think of, have been so rigidly in love with the idea of playing four four two for so many years um, that only now really have we started to deviate away from that system under Gary Rowett. Um, under Neil Harris, we were four four two more often than not, despite you know maybe a couple of dalliances with a. A four-two-three-one, or even a you know three-five-two, whatever you want to call it, that that Rowett has typically played one of those two systems, very much under Harris. Where you know, as much as Jed Wallace has been good over the last two or three years, I think under Harris were his real standout years. Um, and during that time, he was on the right-hand side of a four-four-two in midfield, um, and that was 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 probably his his standout position without doubt. In, in my mind, when I think of Jed Wallace, I think of him on the right of a four-man midfield. Now, obviously, since Gary Rowett has been in there for a couple of years, he's, as I say, tried different systems. Jed has generally been on the right of a three attacking midfielders in a four-two-three-one. That, that's generally where he's been. Uh, I've seen him go into the into the middle uh, of that, you know, play in the kind of number ten role behind a striker. I've seen him play in a in a two-man attack up front. Um, I can't think of seeing him on the left-hand side, but he probably has deviated over that way at some point. Um, but I would, as I say, if I think of Jed Wallace and I think about the best games I've seen him play, it's been on the right of the four-man midfield. Now, I'm not expecting West Brom to play that. Virtually nobody does anymore. But I think that was, was certainly where he was his best. Just looking, when I, when I was looking through his numbers, um, uh, one thing that struck me, and uh, this is a bit of a, bit of a bugbear of Pete's, uh, is, is that um, he takes an awful lot of shots from outside the box, which Pete, uh, you know, with, uh, on numerous pods that we've had, normally talking about Carl and Grant, um, it does, is not a massive fan of because percentage-wise, there's a lower mm. chance of scoring. Yet I noticed that actually 
the, he scores half his goals from outside the box. I mean, the the guy yeah. seems freakishly proficient from outside the penalty area. Yeah, I imagine a few of those are free kicks as well, to be honest. Um, yeah, yeah. If I, if I try and think in my head of his goals, I'm sure you've watched the compilations and all that kind of thing. A, a lot of them are long range, definitely. Um, not always kind of 35, 40 yard long range, but certainly edge of the box or just outside type, type shots. I think he was... He took a lot of shots, frankly. Um, and, you know, as I think I said to you when you text me about it, the, the slightly bitter, jilted lover side of me regarding Jed Wallace looks at sometimes um, a little bit of a hero complex, I would say, in terms of, you know, trying to grab the game by the scruff of the neck, taking shots he didn't necessarily need to take, trying to run the game, especially when Mill was struggling to break through or were losing, et cetera, et cetera. He he did have a little bit of, um, yeah, just just trying a bit too hard sometimes. Certainly, how I felt it, kind of watching, and you know, I'm sure more tactical minds than, than mine would probably look at it and say, actually, that's a player doing really good things. But it used to frustrate me, and definitely used to frustrate some of the people sitting around me. Whereby you could see when Jed Wallace had kind of gone into this hero mode, where suddenly he was trying to rescue the game from Bill or whatever it might be. Quite natural, probably, because he's one of the only players who can. But um, maybe that's reflected in some of those shots um, whereby you, he just start, started taking shots from anywhere almost. Sorry, I was just going to say, how do you think then he's going, because I don't mean this any disrespect to Millwall, but mm. but you, you've obviously had quite a functional side for quite uh, quite a long time with Wallace being the one mm. standout player. In, in reality, this season, he's going to go into a midfield that is him, John Swift, Grady Dean Garner, potentially Matt Phillips, um, Carl and Grant, Callum Robinson are both still mm. there. We're being linked with Tom Lawrence. Do you, how do you think he's going to deal with the fact? Because uh, as you say, he's the he, he's been the only one where if he doesn't if he doesn't do it all, it's probably not going to get done at Millwall. Yeah, the reality is he's probably going to have to hand the baton a little bit more at, at Albion and expect to. I'm trying to shy away from the words "be a team player" because I don't want to accuse him mm. of not being one. But that's no. kind of where I'm going with this. No, and if if, it, if what I've just said makes it sound like he was selfish or anything like that, that's absolutely not it. It was more that if someone was going to change the game, it had to be him. And, you know, I, I wonder a scenario you've just kind of outlined with, with better players around him, which you'll inevitably have, um, and I guess uh, more sources of goals. Does he get even better, potentially? I don't know. You know, without that need to necessarily be the person everybody looks to to sort this mess out. You know, as Millwall kind of found themselves in a couple of situations, um, suddenly it was all, you know, what's Jake going to do about it? That might not necessarily happen at West Brom. So um, it, it could easily be that it brings out even better things in him where he doesn't need to charge around. You know, there, there were times where he would go charging back to try and collect the ball on the halfway line and, and would end up losing it again or something like that because his energy was just so high. He was overcompensating sometimes, etc., And he would end up almost costing Millwall goals. And he has cost Millwall goals, by the way. Um but it all came out of a, a desire to get a, get a hold of the game and, and try and do better for Millwall. So does he need to do that quite so often at West Brom? Ho- hopefully not. Um, and maybe it makes him even better. But yeah, that, that's just kind of one thing that I always observed was just if things were going badly, he would start tearing around, picking himself up in the left-back position, et cetera, et cetera, trying to get hold of the ball and move it up the field. And it, it didn't always work out, I think. He's obviously, as we said, 28. You've, you said earlier on, he's not a player that relies on his pace in any real way. So would, as, a, as a Millwall fan who's watched him for a number of years, would you even be remotely concerned that if he did 
run the length of his contract, which, as we've already acknowledged, is not a particularly normal thing for players to do these days. Mm. But, but say he was still a West Brom player at 32, would you would you be concerned about any level of drop-off between 28-year-old Jed Wallace and 32-year-old Jed Wallace? Or is it a bit like what we had with Chris Brunt back in the day where it really doesn't make that much difference because everything was up here, really? Mm. I, I don't know. I think it's important to differentiate between pace and energy, I guess. And I've used the word energy quite a lot because that is what I think of with Jed Wallace in terms of his stamina, I guess, if you want to call it that, or his ability to get around the field, to close people down, et cetera, et cetera. Now, that's not what I picture in my mind when I describe pace, which is running away from someone or burning away from down the wing or whatever it might be. You know, he didn't necessarily always do that. But the energy was there. I guess if the energy starts to go, then maybe uh, maybe it's not quite the same Jed Wallace anymore. But um, I think, you know, I'm, I'm sure he's a good trainer and all those kind of things. The things you said around not missing many games, etc. is clearly fit um, other than when he picks up a bad injury. But um, as long as he maintains that, I imagine that the energy will still be part of his game as opposed to necessarily being fast, if that makes sense. It seems like crossing's a big part of his game. And obviously we're hoping to have Daryl DK back, uh, who is just, you know, can be a behemoth in the, in the penalty area. Yeah. Um, do you see that being, being a good combination? Because obviously Millwall, this might be adhering to an unfair stereotype, but have always made me think of a team that puts an awful lot of balls into the box and Jed Wallace a big part of that. Um, do you yeah. think he can do that? For, he can be that supply line for DK? Yeah, certainly when, when I think about him in that four four two system, it was very much around the crossing, really. Um, you know, we, we as I say, played four four two, two men up front, big man, little man, typically Steve Morrison and Lee Gregory or Steve Morrison and Tom Bradshaw, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we had a very kind of obvious way of playing and that involved your right and left winger crossing the ball in. So, yeah, that was 100% what he did. I don't think quite so much, I guess, once we started changing system under Gary Rowett. It's not quite been the way we've played in terms of crosses, um, but he's obviously still maintained a high level of assists and, and goals in that time. So, certainly, I think if you want to use him as a winger and you want to play with wingers and play with crosses, then he's obviously one of the best. He's, you know, He was always on corners, for example. Um, so, yeah, he's clearly a good crosser and you don't get that number of assists over those five years without being a good one, really. And I mean, obviously, we're we're a team that finished tenth last season, so we've got we've got no delusions of grandeur, and you won't find. I I like to think you won't find an Albion fan who 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 does because we had a serious reality check last year. But nonetheless, we are a team with aspirations of getting into the Premier League. Do you look at him and see a player that could make that step? Because that's got to be a part of our thinking for every signing now. That okay, this is the division we're in, and we've got to get out this division, but. The reality mm. is that we, we don't want to have to buy a whole new 11 if we were to be successful in our aim, which is getting into the Premier League. Yeah, I, I certainly did. Um, that's not me saying I, I don't now, but there, there's certainly been no um, doubt in my mind over the last two or three years that Jed Royce playing the Premier League. And expect, as I said at the start, expected him to move to the Premier League. Now, the circumstances and the reasons why he hasn't moved to the Premier League are probably reflective of some of the doubts that maybe people have in his ability especially at the ages at, you know, 28, going on 29, to play in the Premier League. But, you know, if, if he can play the way he has done with Millwall for the for West Brom now and he can be a starting member of your team and he can fight you to promotion, then it'd be a bit strange for you to not see some role for him in the Premier League after that. I think he may he may even want to prove a few people wrong by the fact that he hasn't gone to the Premier League. If that interest hasn't materialised for whatever reason, I'm sure that's probably 
ignited the flame within him a little bit to get that Premier League um, promotion and to stay in the team if they do get to the Premier League because um, I'm sure over the last three, four, five years he's had opportunities or interest from the Premier League. So for him not to have made it there at the end of his contract with Millwall might feel like, you know, he's still got something more to achieve. He's still got something he wants. Um, so I think it, it can only bode well for West Brom. You've got a player who probably should have by now played in the Premier League. Um, and if you get there, I'm sure he'll he'll want to do that. Last question from me, Jim. What kind of reception is he going to get at the Den? <laughs> no, no, nobody gets a good reception at the Den. <laughs> um, it's a, it, it's a complete, uh, it's a complete myth. I've, as I say, I've seen, I've seen Neil Harris, our record goal scorer, come down there and get a bad reception when he's come back. I've seen um, former captains come down there. I've seen Steve Morrison, who's got us promoted twice, go down there and get a bad reception as Cardiff manager last year. Nobody gets a good reception. He he will get at the very best, and this is a a genuine sign of endear- endearment, a clap as he comes out to warm up, and I mean a clap. Um, and that'll be as good as it gets, really, for a player when they come back to Millwall. I think um, he will, I'm sure, expect no less, you know, he, uh, or no better, I guess, in a sense that it's just not what Millwall fans do. Um, but he will know deep down from, for example, you know, I, I was at Bournemouth for our last game of the season last year, and uh, the reception he got as he came over to, to clap us with pretty much everybody knowing he was leaving, that's as good as I've seen it get, really, for a player as they depart. Um no no clear kind of um, bitterness or upset among the fans that he was a player who has done five and a bit, six years for Millwall, given everything, um, and is now going to go off and pursue the option of, of a better move. Um, nobody begrudged him that, I don't think. Um, as I said before, there's still some people, I'm not one of them, looking at it as a sideways move. I think more people are just disappointed, actually, that he didn't get a Premier League move because that's what it felt like it was all building up to for Jed was that he would move to the Premier League at Millwall. And then at that point, nobody here can, can hold anything against him. I mean, the fact he's gone into the Championship just adds a little bit of that element to it. But no, for, for him to go and for him to be, yeah, stood in front of the away fans at Bournemouth a couple of months ago, um, both sets of fans and player clapping one another, etc. I think that, that's a pretty good way to end your Millwall career. Not many people get that. So, um, yeah, I wouldn't worry about whether he gets booed or clapped when he comes back. He, he's, he's had his moment already, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I don't think he'll probably worry about it either. Um, but thank you very well, much. <laughs> as long as he doesn't score. As long as he doesn't score. That, he, he might be one of those... Um, I don't think he'll promise not to score. He might be one of those that don't, doesn't celebrate, though. I, can, I, don't, I, can, I don't think... We don't like that either. I think if you score against us, you're, you're entitled to celebrate. So crack on. Yeah, I've got to say I hate that. But there, but there you go. There you go. Uh, Jim, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it, mate. And that's some fantastic insight into our, into our new signing. No, my pleasure. Thanks for your time. Well, Pete, just picking up from there, um, a lot to be excited about. I mean, it sounds like we've got a player who's going to be extremely popular at the Hawthorns. Yeah, and if he can, um, he's obviously got the goals and assists and impacts play um, directly like that. But then if he can put in the, the hard work that Jim mentioned then, then, I mean, that will only make him more popular, won't it? Absolutely. And I, I think... I think that look, we don't want to rake over old graves here or anything like that. But we, but we all know the criticisms that were levelled at certain players last season. Whether it was Ken Zahor not jumping for that header against Luton, whether it was um, 
Callum Robinson pulling out of that challenge with or being perceived to pull out of the challenge against Blackpool, whatever it might be. If this is a player that is going to buzz around and be energy and give absolutely everything for the shirt, I think at this point, I mean, he's obviously, uh, by the way, I'm not ignoring the fact that the guy has got undoubted quality. But I think at this point, that's kind of all Albion fans are asking for, really, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Either that or someone with, you know, the just unbelievable quality that Pereira had at, at this level that creates chances, score goal, scores goals. And that's what Wallace has done as well. So, I mean, if you can merge the two together, then it's going to be, you know, it's going to be a brilliant signing. And um, especially if Bruce is looking to play a 4-2-3-1 that maybe drops into a 4-4-2 when we're defending, then, I mean, it sounds like Wallace will really suit that role on the right to, to you know, get forward and create chances, put crosses in, score goals, but then also get back into the defensive shape and do the work there and support his, his fullback behind him. And just looking at the numbers, Pete, there's a lot to reflect his quality. I mean, last season, as uh, as Jim said, he, uh, he was was actually one of his lowest for appearances. Uh, only 33 starts, five sub appearances, th- 38 games. And when when you're saying that that is low, that's a real positive because everything else I've got down here from the last four seasons, he's made he, he's uh, he's played over 40 league games, which is fantastic. But still, six goals, 12 assists. The season before, six goals, seven assists. Bit of a poorer season in 18-19, just five and two. But then 10 and 12 before that, 10 and six before that, six and 12 before that. And just look, just expanding those numbers out a little bit. I think that when you add together Swift and Wallace's goal contributions for last season, I think it comes to 41. We only scored 52 goals as a team last season. It does feel to me like we've solved the problem we needed to solve, really. Yeah, it looks like it, and I hope we have. Um, I think, obviously, we still need um, another striker. I can't see Zahor making too much of an impact, um, whether he plays that much anyway. Um, And it depends if Grant plays up there as well. But Wallace and Swift definitely offer creativity. And I think it's especially interesting with Wallace that Millwall are pretty... Um, a low possession side so he doesn't see much of the ball and he still manages to create those numbers like he's one of the highest in terms of his expected assists per 100 passes that takes into account that possession so if he can scale that up into a team that hopefully sees a higher amount of the ball um, in the coming season then you know we might even see his assist numbers increase from his time at Millwall as well, he, seems, as... he, he seems to make good use of what little of the ball he has because two and a half key passes per game uh, stuck out to me. That's nearly twice our best player from last season, which was Alex Mowat. Yeah, and when you compare him to attacking midfielders in the Championship last season, um, he's got the highest passes to the penalty area per game of 5.5. So despite being in a, a low possession side, then you know he still puts up high raw numbers of getting the ball into the right areas, um, a high number of dribbles, uh, progressive runs, you know, through passes are pretty high as well. So I think, yeah, if you can scale that up as well into a higher possession base side, then, I mean, it's going to be really exciting for him. It's going to be interesting to see what then happens from here, because we've obviously got Wallace and Swift in which is absolutely fantastic. And I think we're all really, really excited to, to see how that looks. I mean, uh, just on that, Pete, are you, are you envisaging 
Wallace on the right, Swift in the 10 behind DK as the, I mean, are we, are we almost looking at, if we were to pick our starting 11 now or, well, not quite, but if we were to look at what we expect the, the, the forward players to look like on the opening day, would you expect it to be Wallace on, uh, on the right, either Malumbi or Livermore alongside a probably to be bought eight, because we seem to be still in for that, Probably Grady on the left, given some of the noises that have come out the Albion camp in the last in the last few days, with Swift in behind DK. Is that is that probably what you're looking at as the first choice midfield and forwards? Yeah, I think so. Um, obviously, there's a couple that are interchangeable at the minute. Obviously, Moat probably plays alongside either Mullumby or Livermore. But if we sign someone for that role, then you know he might be dropped, and we might want Grant on the left to come in as a more goal threat than Dian Garner is, but noises of the club is that Dian Garner, you know, is training well, um, come back in good shape and et cetera. Well, so physically bulked up was what I saw as well. He, it, um, and I, I mean, it, I'm not comparing the two. I'd like to point that out, but I, I always, I always remember that summer where I don't know what Gareth Bale went away and at, but he went away that one summer with pipe cleaners for arms and came back with biceps Michael Appleton would have been proud would be proud of and like it, i'm not you know i'm not saying Crady's going to go on to win european cups or anything silly like that by the, uh, by the way but what i'm saying is if a guy can work on his physique it can make an enormous enormous difference harry kane was another one who was scrawny and then, uh, and really, really worked on his physicality. And uh, Harry Kane would not have been the player that he is if he had stayed the build that he was when he first came through. I think it can make a huge difference to to take one nearer to nearer to home. I think Connor Townsend has worked on his physique a lot as well, um, and I think it's made a big difference to his game. So if Grady's actually rather than going off and having a lovely old holiday has gone. No, do you know what? I'm going to hit the gym, bit of protein. You know, I'm I'm going to be, I'm going to be a more physical threat than I have been in the past. If that's the case, I'm excited to see that because you combine that with the the pace, the quality, the trickery, the technical ability that we all know is there. I think there's a player there. Yeah, and obviously it can help because I mean, it can what stronger, faster can have a direct impact like that, but. I think the other aspect is just the like the mindset of it really that he has like you say wanted to go out and and come back in better shape and be stronger that he clearly wants to improve his game and if he's got the desire to do that then you know he's gonna gonna help him along the way because I think last season he had I saw a few people saying that maybe he's not interested in in playing really and he I I don't believe that for a second I I don't know the lad I don't know the lad at all but. I just, he he looks like a player who it hurts him when he gets left out. It hurts him when he has a bad game. I don't understand where people people have got that from. There's some players that I can understand why they level that accusation at, at them. And I think there's some players where it doesn't hurt them enough. I don't think Brady's in that category at all. No, me neither. And if he's going away and spending, you know, the what two or three weeks, I'm not sure exactly what it is, but it's a short break this year mm. on improving his his physique and making him in, you know, more physically fit for next season, then obviously he cares about about performing and he wants to he wants to play football the best he can. So 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's a really promising one to come out of the club as well, to, to hear that. But we're going to ignore the, the defence for the time being. There's not really any heavy links, a little bit of whispers about right-backs, James, uh, James Bree being kicked about and, and that, but we'll ignore the... the, the, the and and we, the, nothing's going to happen on, on the goalkeeper front. Um, that Bruce has said publicly on Sky Sports that... Uh, he's he's happy to go with the the three that he's got. Which, to be honest, we again we've already talked about this. Pete and I about three weeks before the end of the season said that's what we would do. So uh, I don't think there's any complaint from us that that uh, with with uh, with running with those three. I think possibly the order in which they will be um, preferred as number one. I think Pete and I would disagree with Bruce because I've I've got a feeling he will start with Button and. I, I know for a fact that's not what either of us would do, but um, but we'll ignore the the defence and goalkeeper situation for now, and just look at look at the, the forwards and midfielders and a few a few links where we're talking there about what we will start the season with. I mean, we're talking about Grady starting on that left hand side. You said that Grant was potentially the the other option out there as well, and yet today there is. And the last few days, there have been quite heavy links linking us to Tom Lawrence. Now, looking at where Tom Lawrence played a lot of his football for Derby, you would think that that may well be the position that he would take up. I mean, he obviously can play as a 10. He can he, he can play wide on the right as well. He's played all those. He's a quite a versatile player, quite similar to, to Swift and Wallace in many respects. Um, but his primary position for Derby was on that left-hand side. Now, I don't know about you, Pete, but I don't really, if there is anything in this, I don't really understand that. Tom Lawrence's numbers aren't bad, don't get me wrong. And, and last season, his numbers were really, really good. However, for me, there's a few things. First of all, there's the fact that Rooney did tend to leave him out of, uh, of games where he felt he needed a bit more of a team ethos. That concerns me a little bit. There's obviously the stuff around what happened with him and Richard Keogh and the car and all that sort of thing, which, you know, just whilst it's one incident, it does not speak well to the character uh, character of the player. But uh, I mean, and then there's the fact that he's on about he was on about 35 grand a week at Derby. So God only knows what he'd be asking for. And, I, and the last thing is, I don't think we need him. Like, I, I don't know about you, Pete, but. I wouldn't be touching that one with a 60-foot pole. No, I don't think so. And um, he's a little bit different to Wallace that he's probably a bit more of a direct goal threat. Um, creatively, probably not quite as good, but he'll score more goals for you, I think. Yeah, I um, mean, look at, looking back at his numbers, over, over, um, over each of the last four seasons, he's always scored more goals than he got assists. Yeah, so it's slightly different to, to Wallace and would probably play on the left side. But in that respect... He's in ways similar to Grant that he is he is a goal threat and not amazing creatively. Um, so it seems strange that we'd bring him in as well when Grant can do a similar role and we've obviously already got him. Um, and the wages is something that worries me, worries me with, I mean, all the signings we've made so far with Swift and, and Wallace. I've got no idea what they're on, but They've been some of the best attacking players in the championship for the last couple of seasons. So when they leave on a free, I imagine they're getting good, pretty good deals, especially when you've got clubs like Burnley who have just come down from the Premier League fighting for their signatures as well. So I would happily wager with you that one, if not both of those two signings are our best paid player. 
given yeah. uh, given that it was previously Ken Zahor on about twenty three grand a week, I would guess that at least one of them is getting twenty five. Yeah, you'd think so. And signing players on big wages on fairly long contracts. Well, four years is a very long contract, especially for a twenty eight year old, as we spoke about. Exactly, twenty eight and on a four year contract. We could be. I just worry that we might be in a bit tri- bit of trouble with the with the transfer in the future. I mean, if he stays for two years and he's thirty, um, I mean, players don't seem to deteriorate as fast as they used to their ability. But if he does start, you know, falling down a bit in his numbers, then we might have a thirty year old on some of our highest wages without parachute payments if we don't get promoted this season. You know, it could we could end up in a bit of a mess. I think quality-wise, he's a great player at this level and I'm excited about it. It's just slightly sceptical about signing all these kind of prime age, um, very good championship players that tend to demand pretty high wages. Yeah, although it's worth saying that uh, Swift and Wallace are different, a bit apples and oranges in the sense that Swift is two years younger, which means if... In two years' time, we weren't we were still stuck in the championship. There's a very good chance that you could sell John Swift for a fairly decent transfer fee. Wallace is a bit more concerning, uh, uh, given that he would be 30 then, and getting any real money out of him and probably finding somebody to to take over his wages would be more uh, would be more of a challenge. I mean, on that, I personally, I'm happy about both signings. Um, I do think. I agree with you, Pete. I think a four-year contract on Wallace is a gamble. I don't think the contract on on Swift, whatever we're paying him, unless he keeps getting injured, which is obviously a concern. If he were to get, if he was to have a bad injury record over over the course of the piece with us, then obviously that's a problem because you can't, you just can't find suitors for players who have bad injury records. It's really, really difficult. But if he can stay fit. I think he's what we were talking about some weeks ago as an asset. I think Wallace will definitely stay fit. I think he will be an asset. I just think we've gambled massively on getting back into the Premier League, giving a guy who is 28 already a four-year deal on what I'm certain will be 25,000 or more a week, which is huge amounts of money for a championship football club and you look at the trouble derby you've got into giving tom lawrence as the exact example that kind of a contract where he's on 35 grand a week gambling that they're going to get into the into the premier league and then not doing it and being stuck with him and not being able to shift him we look we've done swift and wallace i think they're both good good bits of business i'm going to put that on record now i think swift is less of a risk than than wallace just purely based on the age and the resale value but what I uh, I personally right now would not be looking at somebody like Tom Lawrence who has a checkered past and would cost a lot of money. I equally wouldn't be looking at someone like Hamza Chowdhury, who whilst 24 would be wanting Premier League wages, given that he's coming from a Premier League club and probably decent Premier League wages as well, because, you know, Leicester City, been in Europe a few, uh, a few times over the last few years. Uh, it worries me that, OK, Leicester in the Prem, but they've still never really trusted him. He played 12 games in all competitions last season at a total of 532 minutes. So that's not particularly good. The most he has ever played in an entire season in league minutes is 889. Now, 
it's pretty basic mathematics to know that there's 90 minutes in a game. So 10 games is 900 minutes. So in an entire season, Chowdhury has never completed 10 games worth of league minutes. I, I, if he was, if he was cheap at 24, I'd a hundred percent be looking at him, but given that he's going to cost prime wages for this division, similarly with Lawrence, he will be asking chunky money given that he's coming off a good contract at, at Derby and he feels like he can probably get some half decent suitors. I don't know about you, Pete. I wouldn't be going near either of these guys. I, I, I think, I think you're betting the farm on, I'm happy to bet the farm a little bit on Swift and Wallace is what I'm saying. I'm not happy to bet the farm on Lawrence and Chowdhury. What do you think? Yeah, I'm similar to that, really. Um, even if Chowdhury was alone, then it's going to cost us, I mean, a very high portion of our wages for this season. I mean, transfer is obviously more expensive, but the, the loan, I th- even think that's expensive with what the rumours are, that they want 80% of what he's get, being paid. Um, but I'm not sure what more he brings in terms of style to the team than what Molumbi and Livmore can offer. Um, yeah, I think we definitely need another midfielder, but I feel like I've said it a million times, someone that progresses the ball forward um, and can help get the ball to people like Swift and Wallace in advanced areas. And I don't think Chowdhury is that kind of person, despite playing in the Premier League and maybe being Premier League quality, but is he really if he hasn't played more than 1090s in a season? Well, that, that, that's the thing. That's uh, Sorry, Pete, I was just going to say that. That's the thing. People look at players who are at Premier League clubs and assume they're Premier League quality. But if a, if a guy's getting 500 minutes in all comps, is he really a Premier League footballer? We, you know, it's a bunch of guys in our squad. That Branislav Ivanovic was uh, was in our squad in the Premier League doesn't mean he's he's not absolutely past it. Ken Kenza Hall was a West Bromwich Albion player in the Premier League. Doesn't mean he it doesn't mean he was a he, he's a Premier and he was a Cardiff player in the Premier League as well. Doesn't make him a Premier League footballer. Um, and I, I have to say, I haven't seen Chowdhury to me is solid. He's a decent player, but given that he will cost like in wages, probably about 10 times more than a player that we could pick up from the championship. Is he 10 times better or what does he bring? That's actually that special. Everything I've seen of him, he looks solid and he'd be decent. He'd be decent, but is he worth the, the, the amounts of money that we would probably have to shell out to get him? Not in my opinion. And does he bring that much more than Livermore and Malumbi as well? No, I mean, stylistically, I'd say he's similar to them. He's, yeah, he probably is a better footballer than them. But is it worth to put out that much money for a player that may be a bit better than what we've already got, but not be the exact kind of player that we need? I'd rather spend that money on someone that can bring exactly what we wanted. I mean, Joe Rothwell seemed to be a good example of that. He's obviously gone to Bournemouth now, who could offer him higher wages. Um, but someone stylistically, and I think we did. To... I think we did want Rothwell from what I from what I hear on the on the grapevine. But as you say, unfortunately, you get blown out the water when a Premier League club wants him. Yeah, exactly. So if we could find someone um, in a similar style to Rothwell, then we'd be bringing in someone of a kind of player that we don't actually have, and that would probably be a have a bigger impact on the season than just slightly improving on Livermore and Malumbi, if that makes sense. 
Yeah. I mean, to be honest, for me, at the end of last season, I, I know people said there's loads of good free agents. I didn't believe that. I thought there was four really top quality free agents that we could realistically get. We've bought, we, we've signed two of them. The other two we've lost out on Rothwell and Lenahan. I think now we have to get more imaginative with our recruitment from this point on. I, I, I don't think, I don't think, you know, this, this, it, I saw somebody very kindly tweeted us the, the, the other day when we signed uh, Wallace saying Swift and Wallace, you guys called it. Yeah, we did, but I mean, it 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 was it was a little bit like calling PSG to win the French league. You know what I mean? It, it, it they were so. I mean, it was just could we get the deals done? But as targets, they were so obvious. They 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 were just exactly what we needed. They were on freeze. They were proven in this division. I think if you asked me and Pete to sit here now and tell you who Albion should uh, should go for next. That's a much, much harder question because I think we've exhausted the list of really obvious targets. I think if we could have got all four of Rothwell, Lenahan, Swift and Wallace, that's our business done for the whole summer on four frees from the championship, all of whom would be fantastic. But having lost out on Lenahan and Rothwell, I think we need alternative targets in those two positions. And I think we've got to get more creative with our recruitment than just look at the freeze list at this point. What do you think? Yeah, and I think we need to be more creative than just looking at the championship because if you just sign championship players, and I mean, we're going to be looking at some of the the best players in the championship because that's where we want to be towards the top of it. And they obviously demand more money. And um, I think at some point you've got to be more creative and look look abroad um, or even into League One. I think Burnley just signed Scott Twine this afternoon. Um, Great signing, by the way. Exactly. So... They're still going to cost money, but probably less than the the players that have already proved that they can do it in the championship. Given, I mean, I don't know what he's cost them, but I mean, if you if you, if you're looking if you're looking for a player like Tom Lawrence, I, I'd I'd rather have seen us in for Scott Twine. I mean, yeah. surely in the end they they'd end up costing similar because you could put Twine on much much lower wages than you'd put Lawrence. So, and that's the money you'd ultimately spend on the transfer fee. I'd rather see us in for Twine than Lawrence. I mean, obviously that that ship has sailed. I'm aware of that. He's gone to Burnley, but you know that's that's where I'd rather see our efforts. Yeah, and I agree with that. Um, despite not thinking we actually need another recruit in the wide attacking Neither area, do I. No. I think maybe a push you could say we could do with a young kind of attacking midfielder, like to be back up to Swift. But even then, it's it's you could always put you could always put Wallace in that position, and you've got Phillips. I mean, at the moment you've got you, you've got Robinson um, and 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 a few, uh, you know a, num- a number of others. I mean, we, we've still got. I mean, let's be fair. We, we still probably after the season he had last year need to find a role for Taylor Gardner Hickman somewhere in here as well. We've got young Tom Fellows. He might go out on loan, but if he sticks around, then you would like to see him get you know probably ten twelve games I'm not saying starts but appearances at least coming off the bench I think Ryan Tullock desperately needs to go out on loan but if he stays you've got to find you've got to find football for him as well so I think there's a lot of options in in those areas which kind of brings me on to the 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 question where I uh, where I want to which I want to tackle before we finish this pod is I saw a, a, a tweet from Joe Chapman after we'd signed Wallace where he basically said that will be it for 
incomings up until the point where Albion can move some players on. Um, now, Callum Morton's gone, um, which will be a very, very small um, boost to the budget because I can't imagine he was on a great deal of money. And I'll, I want, I'll talk a little bit more about Callum Morton in just a second because uh, I want to get on my soapbox a little bit about that one in just in just a moment. But in terms of who else we need to move on, given the players that have come in and given that I think, it, would it be fair to say that you you think we need a centre-half, a leader, a leader type, an eight to progress the ball and another option at, uh, at centre-forward? Given that those are the three that we need to need to move uh, to bring in, who at this point do you think needs to move on and it realistically could? See, I'm slightly different in that opinion that I don't think we desperately need a centre-back. I think we obviously need more leader types in the team, but I feel like that can come in um, in different positions. I think kind of the personality is what's needed of a leader rather than a position for it. I think we need a centre mid, like we said, um, a backup striker that can maybe give DK a bit of a challenge for the first team spot, but ultimately coming in as backup to start off with and some cover in fullback areas because at the minute we've got Connor Townsend and Zach Ashworth at left back. And if you can't reach as a left back, then we've got him, but I can't see him playing as a left back in a back four. Um, and then right back, we've got Furlong, but maybe O'Shea can cover there. Depends what Bruce wants and to TGH, do. TGH, I suppose. Yeah, again, which is, is that his best position? I don't know. So, I mean, who who would you be, who would you be looking to, to then move on at, at, at this, uh, looking at the squad now as it stands, who would be your most urgent? If Joe Chapman is right and the only way we bring anybody else in is moving people on, who would you say are your most urgent ones to get out? The, who would be the, who'd be the ones that you would be on the phone to agents offering them? I think you've got to look at the positions where we've got, excess players to start off with. I mean, centre-back, we've got we've got about five or six senior centre-backs. And then we've also got Caleb Taylor that's looking promising. I mean, he might go out on loan, but if he's not out on loan, then he's going to be in and around the first-team squad, I'd say. Um, so probably players like, I think Keeper has probably got some of the, the most um, value and interest from other clubs. He's at a decent age. I think he has proved that he can be a good centre-back in the Championship in, in a system that suits him. I think he's more suited to a, a back three than a back four. And Bruce didn't seem to fancy him when he came in. And then... To be fair, looking, no, nobody has. No, that's true. Um, which, I mean, that isn't isn't a good sign. But I think he did quite well under Ishmael when he came into the into the side when a dro- um, Ajayi was dropped. And then obviously there's... I don't think there's much value in Kyle Bartley being his age and one year left on his contract. And Semi's just like... signed a new deal, so he's going nowhere. Exactly. Um, O'Shea, again, I think he's one year left on his contract, but there's been some, in some of Bruce's interviews, I think he's, he said he likes him a lot. So he's been at the club for a while. So I think you'd have a riot on your hands if you moved O'Shea out. Yeah, exactly. So I think, I think Kipre is the, the obvious choice. I mean, obviously, Keen Bryan's the other one, but he's not played. and he's It's hard to left. move a player on who hasn't... He basically hasn't played for 12 months, has he? And I mean, he couldn't, he couldn't find a club last summer when, 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 he, when he had played the previous season. 
and probably had a massive injury. So. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I think in centre-back, keeper is probably the obvious option to move on if it's possible. Um, and then one, well, at least one attacking winger type player. I mean, Callum Robinson's out of favour at the minute. Um, and I think he's actually a very good player at this level. So I'd imagine there would be some suitors for him if if he's not demanding too high wages and we're not demanding too high a price. So he could probably be one of the first ones there. Adam Reach, I think he's most suited to being a wing-back, so I just don't see how he fits in. I don't think he plays that, left That's back. my problem with Reach is because uh, I, I, as we as we know on this podcast, I've defended Adam Reach in the, in the past. I don't have a problem with Adam Reach to the extent that a lot of that a lot of people have a problem with Adam Reach. But I just don't think Bruce is going to play a system that suits him, and therefore I have I don't have a clue where he would play for us next season if he if he stays. The only thing is that if we are going for this four two three one four four two defensive shape that Bruce I think he might have said it once in his interview and I've run with it but anyway um, I think he could potentially play on the left there similar to Wallace you know he's going to put in the, the hard work but he's not got the end quality that that Wallace does I wouldn't say so end up with two relatively slow players out, yeah. out out wide which i i th- i think i think unbalances you i think uh, i i think it can it's fine on one side but if on the other you've got an absolute flying machine like Grady Dean Garner, I think you've got a real balance. Or if you've got a fullback that's going to go past, but the problem is our left back's Connor Townsend. Mm. You know, it's it, he, he, with the best will in the world, he's not go, he's not going flying past whoever's in front of him. He's not that type of player. I just think it really unbalances you. Yeah. So for me, I I, <clears throat> I don't see where the where the spot on the team is for. For Adam Reach, for what's been rumoured as the, the formation or the tactics or whatever, um, and I think Robinson could be difficult. He could be, I think he could play as a you know as a second striker as the attacking midfielder that that Swift is. But again, he's out of favour of fans, and he seemed to be out of favour of Bruce when he came in. He didn't play an awful lot after the first four or five games. Um, Grant's obviously a difficult one. Um, presumably high wages and um, a long contract. So, and we'd probably be looking to try and get the kind of fee that we paid for him, which we wouldn't be able to get. Uh, Matt Phillips is a potential one, though. Um, I think he's got one or two, two years left. But the trouble with him is his injury record and and his age. That mm. I can't imagine we demand a high fee for him. So it seems to me that we've got quite a few players that aren't particularly. Um, desirable for clubs that they're not going to want to pay a high fee like Reach or Phillips um, or we've got players that we're just going to demand too high a fee to make up for the fees that we've spent on them so and and that could and that could be where we've got to learn from our mistakes from last season because I, I still think as much as I'm a massive fan of Sam Johnston um, I, I, I don't subscribe to some of the views of some people that he uh, that, that he did anything other than give his all for the football club, and uh, and I uh, and I think he was a, I think he was a quality quality goalkeeper, and I think he gets massively underrated by some people because they don't like him. They don't like him. They don't like uh, they don't like the fact that he was uh, that he that he played for the Villa. They don't like the fact that he uh, he 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 had a, uh, he had a chat with Jack Grealish going off the pitch after one of the one of the Villa games. They don't like a number of th- uh, things uh, about him. And that's fair enough. People are entitled to their view. I don't subscribe to that. But what I do think is criminal, 
with Sam Johnston is the fact that we priced him out of a move last summer. I think it's crazy when you've got an asset like that and you end up letting him go for nothing. I think that's madness. And the fact that we asked too much money last summer, rather than doing what Burnley have just done with Nick Pope and asking a very reasonable fee for, for, for an England goalkeeper and getting the money that they should get for him and using that to reinvest in their squad, which they've just gone and done with Scott Twine, I think that is far far more sensible. And I think we've got to realise the fact that if we do want to sell, say, Callum Robinson, that we might we might have viewed him at five million pounds in that Burke deal. I think that's probably in and around where where his valuation was in in that deal. We probably won't get that. There, there probably isn't a championship because it it won't be a Premier League club that would come for Callum Robinson. There probably isn't a championship club with five million pounds to to spend on Callum Robinson because they then got to pay his wages on top of that as well. And I think we've got to be realistic because, as you say, Pete, I honestly don't think we shift these 30-somethings this summer. I think the ones that... I, th- I think they go at the end of their contracts. You're Livermore's, Phillips's, Bartley's, people like that. I, th- I think they go when their contracts expire, realistically. I don't think we'll find anyone to come in and buy them. I think the ones that are saleable assets are Kipre at early 20s, Reach at late 20s, and Callum Robinson, who I think is 26, 27, something like, something like that. But only if we price them appropriately, because all of them will be on half decent wages. Kipre less than, than the other two. But I think, you know, Robinson is probably going to be in the high teens. I mean, Reach, if football manager have got his wages right, we're paying him an obscene amount of money. I hope they've got it wrong. Um, and then, uh, and, and then, uh, then Kipre is still going to be on sort of like eight, nine, ten grand a week, like without a shadow of a doubt. So finding clubs to take these players is not going to be easy. And if you start asking for, you know, five million for Callum Robinson, a million and a half for Reach, and say trying to make a profit on Kipre and getting one and a half, two million for him, you're not going to sell him. You're not going to sell him. No, and. I doubt there's many championship clubs that have got any money to spend. Mm. To be honest, I think most will be looking for either frees or just very cheap options. Um, obviously, the clubs that have come down will have a bit of money to spend, but will they be looking at signing players from Albion who might be direct competition to them and knowing that if they do give us five million for Robinson, then we might be able to get a player in for five million that actually suits us a little bit better than than Robinson and kind of improves us and would they kind of want the quality of player that they saw last year anyway um i don't think many of our players really covered themselves in glory last year yeah. so that makes it even harder to find to find potential bidders for them but we obviously need to move some players on before we sign well before we sign many more if any more because i mean the whole point is that we need to start cutting the the wage budget and making you know, kind of limiting that a bit because after last after the coming season, then we won't have half as much to spend on on wages and transfers because of those parachute payments that we'll be lacking. So at some point, we do need to, to cut that down a bit. And I mean, obviously, the first out the door was Callum Morton. He's not going to make a huge dent in that in that wage budget. However, I was a bit surprised at the some of the reaction to Callum Morton 
being being sold. There seemed to be a lot of distress from Albion fans about it. And I just, I didn't really understand it. I mean, first of all, we've been very, uh, we've been very critical of the club and the running of the club on this podcast. But one thing that I think Pete and I like to try and pride ourselves on is being fair and being reasonable on, uh, on this podcast and being fairly measured as well. And I think we've got, we've got to get to a point where let's give the club credit where it's due. And they've brought in two pretty perfect players for what we were after on free transfers in before pre-season training as it has even started. And they've got rid of a player who last season went on loan for part of it to the championship and sat on Peterborough's bench and for the other part played for Fleetwood quite well from what I gather, which is why they've wanted to sign him permanently. But nonetheless, Fleetwood stayed up on the last day in League One. Let's not let's not get overexcited. But I saw somebody compared him to, compared letting Callum Morton go to letting Chris Wood go. Chris Wood had played in the Premier League when we let him go. Chris Wood had scored goals in the Championship, and I do think we let Chris Wood go too early and uh, and took too small a fee for him. Callum Morton has done nothing to suggest that he is anywhere near to the level Chris Wood was at. When uh, and Chris Wood was also quite a lot younger when we let him go. Callum Morton's twenty two. So he's only going to get so so much better. And then it seemed to follow on that some people started criticising, saying, oh, we never give our young players a chance. We never give our young players a chance. Right. 15, one five academy products played for the first team last season. I 14, if you don't want to include Quevin Castro, and I could understand why you wouldn't want to that, uh, but ultimately he is still playing in the development side, but okay, we signed him aged 18. So if you don't want to count Castro, fine, 14 then, of which six played in the league, five if you don't want to count Castro. That is not bad, of which some of them got quite a few games as well. Obviously, Taylor Gardner-Hickman, Tom Fellows got six games off the off the bench last season as well. I don't think that there is, at the moment, a massive problem with a pathway from the academy to the first team. And I thought that some of the reaction to Callum Morton being let go to Fleetwood was enormously, enormously over the top for a player who has proved that he is, at the moment, he has not proved he is anything more than bottom half League One. And I didn't, under- and I didn't understand why, if he, was, if he was not an academy product and he was a 22-year-old footballer who, uh, who, was, uh, who was playing bottom half League One, and scoring the amount of goals that he scored in the bottom half of League One. Let me flip it the other way. Would you want us to sign him? No, obviously not. And I think I think it's just that kind of hope and that fans have with academy players, and you really do want to see him do well at the club and get the chance. Mm. And that maybe sometimes there's a hope that they will just kind of come into the first team and just magically score 15, 20 goals like yeah. Berahino did. But... And I know, I know, because he's a striker, that hope is a bit greater. But peg that hope on Ashworth, Fellows, Gardner, Hickman, Castro. If you want, if if you want to count him as an academy product, Caleb Taylor, Ethan Ingram, all these lads who were who were considered good enough last season and therefore were given a chance. Sorry, yeah. but, 
Morton was considered not good enough. It happens. Yeah, and I'd agree with that. Um, and it's probably a kind of side of it to, from him as well that he he might be seeing that he's 22 and he's he's not really seeing that he's close to the first team yet and and wants to actually kind of get a bit of consistency to his career rather than moving between different loans and, you know, can nail a spot down at Fleetwood, can maybe then prove that he's a good League One player and then see where, where the rest of his career takes him rather than being on the fringes of the, well, is even, yeah. He's not on even fringes, on the fringes, is Yeah, he? exactly. Of the West Brom squad each season and um, not really know where, where he'll be for the following season. I think a bit of consistency on for his career will probably do him pretty good. Absolutely. Well, we'll leave it there for for today. And thank you very much for joining us. Um, we don't quite know when we will, when we'll back be back. Obviously, we will be back ahead of the uh, of the first game of the season uh, away at Middlesbrough. However, I would like to think that there will be a bit of business done by the Albion before then. And uh, when there is, we will jump into gear and we will produce a podcast looking at the player or players. Let's let, let let's lose the let's use the plural and be really positive. There's going to be multiple players signed, um, and we will we will assess those coming in and potentially at that point as well any that have that have gone out. So as I say, still be a little bit ad hoc in terms of the podcast for a few weeks, but stick with us and uh, yeah, we, we will produce podcasts as and when the club give us something to talk about. But until next time, thanks for listening and up the baggies. Albion have certainly been sharing the goals around this season. They're well into double figures now for different championship goal scorers. So why not take a leaf out of their book? and do some sharing of your own with the McNugget share box. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.